Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1949 Howard Hawks film, I Was a Male War Bride. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Barrett, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, what is your history with this film? Is this is this another Hawks movie you hadn't seen and are wanting to visit, or is this something you'd seen before? Yeah, I'd, see, I'd seen this before. Um, it's another, another one of those where I feel like I saw it many years ago, but then I saw it, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. Uh, and I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to visit it earlier, but it wasn't widely available. And then it popped up on Amazon Prime. So, yeah, this is one that, um, yeah, I probably saw it most recently about three years ago or so. I have to say, I was charmed by this film. I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, it. I mean, this is it, it's interesting because you know we've been on a run of some pretty serious movies we've watched probably in the last ten or fifteen. So it's sort of strange to be like, oh, I really liked this. Um, at the same time, it's much lighter fare, right? Like, yeah. I think part of that is also this did not carry the weight of expectations of watching Stalker or something like that, where I'm like, okay, this is regarded as this like truly monumental work of cinema. And, you know, so I went into this. And what's nice about it, you know, I mean, the title of this tells you, okay, this is, don't take this too seriously. Like, don't, this is not going to be that. And, I, you know, it made me think about, um, something like bringing up baby where I think I maybe brought in a bigger weight of expectations to that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm, this is, it's a movie. Maybe I should revisit it this summer um, because I think, uh, I think I was maybe expecting something that it was not. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wasn't able to watch it as be entertained by this. Don't, don't worry so much about it. And, and I went into this without any weight of expectations and was really charmed by the movie. Well, it, it, I'm glad you used the word "charmed," uh, Sam, because that's the way I've always felt about this movie. It's and um, it has a charm that, for me, some of other some other comedies of Hawks with Cary Grant do not. So, for example, this is the this is the fourth of five comedies that Hawks and Grant made together. You've already talked about Bringing Up Baby, which we've watched, uh, and then Only Angels Have Wings, and uh, His Girl Friday, and then this one of the Monkey Business. And the reason I say that is because I, I've only watched Monkey Business once and I found it extremely unpleasant. Um, and yet I just read a bit of Robin Wood has a has a book on on Hawks. And I read a bit of his chapter on, on the uh, screwball comedies. And he considers Monkey Business the finest of the five films. Uh, he considers Bringing Up Baby overrated. Uh, and he considers I Was a Male War Bride kind of okay, but a little bit loose in its structure. So I, maybe there's something about comedies that seem to attract such uh, such various opinions. Um, but I rate this pretty high for, for Hawks, in my view, anyway. Yeah, I, mean, I think because there is partially, you know, what is it that you find funny? And I do think comedies often uh, bear the weight of the charisma of the actors a little bit, um, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. Where you know I'm I'm open about not being a huge Catherine Hepburn fan, which is part of my bringing up, and I don't have any baggage with um with Anne Sheridan, so it's like yep, yeah, she's great in this. Like I I don't uh that 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 made that uh, sort of a lot a lot easier to look at. I want to um ask you some questions. So this is our second Hawks comedy. Um, I think it's our it's our fifth Hawks movie we've watched for the podcast, and then we can lump Red River in there too because. Um, because we watch that for film forum. So, so that's, mm-hmm. I've seen six Hawk Hawks movies since we've started this um, bringing up baby being the other comedy we've seen. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the phrase screwball comedy. It's been a long time since we uh, talked about that definition a little bit. Um, 
does this i th- this seems to fit that that uh subgenre right yes it does okay. absolutely so yeah. what are some of the home remind me of some of the hallmarks of yeah you know what one way to think about screwball comedy i think and we talked about a little bit about this to bring a baby is think about it as kind of proto-rom-com so um Although, so uh, rather than having a meet cute, you often have some kind of meet misunderstanding, meet ag- aggression. I mean, I, I I I love the fact that in the film uh, Henry actually uses the phrase "sex antagonism." Yes, and, he's, and he says the opposite of what it sounds like. And to me, that's actually screwball comedy, kind of in a nutshell. It's about sex antagonism, which is really about sexual attraction. So, so, so there's that element of of screwball. Uh, one thing I I find is certainly true in Hawks' screwball, and we can talk about this later. Is there's lots of verbal play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're very they're typically very well written. This was this one was written in part by Charles Letterer. Who uh, who worked with Hawks on other on other films like His Girl Friday and Monkey Business, um, and then and then I think there's always, especially when Cary Grant is involved, there's always a certain amount of physical comedy. Um, one of the things I I love about a film with Grant is is he he's both got the verbal facility, but he's also got and in this film in particular, there's a couple of physical bits he does that I I actually have a list of the things about this film that made me laugh out loud. Um, and some of them were his uh, his physical comedy as well. So, uh, and often in Screwball, it, it, the physical comedy, it can sometimes involve pratfalls. Um, you also get some kind of, often you get, at least with Hawks, you sometimes get some sex reversal, which is obviously a big part of the, 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 the this film as well as bringing up baby. Yeah, uh, one of the, it's interesting thinking about it. There's a, it's not even a physical comedy moment, although it, it kind of is because of the way it changes I feel like his posture, the, the scene when they're um, in Bad Nauheim and he puts on the sort of traditional dress to go to the black market, just the way that he, because because mm-hmm. Cary Grant is such a dashing figure, you know, you think about like North by Northwest and things like that. And it's like, he looks so silly in that. And, and the movie uh, takes a moment for Gates to point out how kind of silly he looks, you know, because everybody else is in these kind of crisp military yes. uniforms. And it's like, yeah, it's so so even the way, and I'm I'm sure he's physically doing something with his body too to, that he just looks different. Um, ab, you know, absolutely. I I there this movie had a couple of things that um I just thought were such funny moments. So we can we can uh, jump into those in a bit. Um, you've already touched on this, uh, and I think I asked you this question last week when we were talking about Sergeant York. What is Howard Hawksy about this movie? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's 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 a great question. Um. One interesting way to think about what's hoxy about this. Well, first of all, he loves putting men in in positions where they are dominated by or have to deal with kind of uh, aggressive women. So Hawks likes strong women in in his films. Um, He also likes um, Robin Wood in his article makes an interesting point that in some ways the Cary Grant character is more like a Hawks character from one of his adventure films, more like a Hawks character from Red River or Rio Bravo. But those characters are usually surrounded by some kind of supportive network. They 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 work with others, and um, uh, Henry, by contrast, is kind of a solitary character. So that's that's Hawksian, but it's not necessarily the Hawks of the Screwballs. It's sort of the Hawks of of the of the adventure films. One of the ways in which Henry is kind of different from the other Hawks characters 
uh, the screwball characters is those characters tend to have kind of weaknesses or flaws that lead them into their uh, complicated situations. In this case, uh, Henry really, there's no, there's no fault on the part of Henry. It's just that he's faced with, on the first, he's faced with Anne Sheridan uh, and the force of nature that she is. And then he's faced with the bureaucracy of the U.S. military. Uh, and in each of those cases, he manages to rise to those particular obstacles. So that's a very Hawksian thing, but it's more of an adventure Hawks character than it is a screwball character. So I think Hawks is kind of deliberately mixing his genres a little bit. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I'm going to come back to to uh, an idea I had about this movie, uh, but but so so let, let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to this idea of... of uh, thinking of Henry Rochard as coming from a different type of movie. Um, it is interesting as I think about the, the six Hawks movies I've seen, Sergeant York is really the only one that doesn't have a strong female character in it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you, you know, you can think about his, you know, his eventual wife or his mother, but they don't play the same kinds of roles that whether it's Red River or Scarface mm-hmm. or bringing up baby or real Bravo there, those have a, a clearer, you know, um, kind of strong female character in there who who really pushes the plot in lots of ways. Um, it's interesting to think about this movie. I was thinking about this movie as a romantic comedy, and, I, and it clearly is. It clearly is that. Um, but what's interesting is because, as you pointed out, this movie has two distinct parts. In some ways, a big chunk of this movie is not a romantic comedy because <laughs> it's like it's like the first half of this movie. Uh, almost is a template for a ro- for a kind of romantic comedy mm-hmm. um you know you have two people who uh for one reason or another kind of despise each other but they're forced to live or work together closely you get kind of the will they or won't they tension the animosity becomes love and you get the results in them coming together and often in you know in marriage which is usually the plot of a movie um and and that's the basic outline of a lot of rom-coms. I mean, Bringing Up Baby has kind of that outline. Um, uh, Shop Around the Corner has that outline. You've got Mail has that outline. Uh, but this movie reaches that resolution at the halfway point, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which really I was. Uh, one of my problems with this movie, and it, I there, there's two. Th- I love this movie. I really enjoyed it. There's two things that I have a problem with. One of them is the title of the movie. I okay. think is a big problem because. Mm. It is announcing what this movie is going to be about. So I feel like it kicks the legs out from under the first half of the movie. Because, you know, the the title of the movie is basically an elevator pitch for the second half of the movie. (laughs) So so I think I think this movie would be way better if you didn't change a thing that happened on the screen. But if you gave it a more generic title. So that you were surprised when, wait, these people got together halfway through the movie and there's a second plot to it. And that second plot is so funny and interesting. But instead, you know what the second plot is and you're kind of just waiting for that. Uh, and, and I feel like I feel like it undercuts that the, 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 the first half of the movie by announcing this is what this movie is going to be. About. And maybe that's a product of how movies were promoted in the 40s versus now. I can't imagine it would have that title now. Well, two things about that, Sam. First of all, as you probably know, the film was based on a book, uh, on an actual account of a, of a by a French officer. So that may be one reason why it has that title. But do you know what it was released, the title under which it was released in England? No, I would love it to hear. Called, it was called You Can't Sleep Here. 
Oh, that's that would be so much better. <laughs> they, they, must, they must have sensed your your concern uh, somehow. Yeah, that yeah. okay. That's exactly what I'm talking about. If this movie was called that, I would have thought, oh, I'm watching a rom com and I'm enjoying it. And then I would have thought, why at the 50 minute mark do they get married? And then it would have twisted. It would have had a twist into a second, really a second half of of this movie that feels. Um, that has a different tension because what I love about the second half of the movie, and we'll get into this is that their relationship, the actual like connection between them is not really threatened in the second half. There isn't a chance that it's like, well, maybe they're going to break apart. It's there are forces keeping them apart and keeping them from sleeping, but it's not, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not that that is threatened. So um, I think this movie would be, would feel materially better if you didn't know what the big twist of the second half was going to be. Well, you know, one of, the, one of the ways in which, and maybe it's not really accurate to say that Hawks is playing with the rom-com trope because he's really sort of still part of inventing it. But, you know, as you know, with the rom-com, you know, after they get together, I'm thinking about, you know, you've got mail. You know, after they get together, then there's always an obstacle that threatens the relationship, right? And they have to kind of overcome that. So I think that Hawks has done a couple of really interesting things with that. One is, as you've already observed, He's moved that moment much earlier in the film. You know, usually it comes about three quarters of the way through or something like that. And then it's usually more based on misunderstandings. Uh, and, and it's interesting because he throws in the misunderstandings before the reconciliation. Uh, so, for example, the wonderful bedroom scene when the handle comes off the door. And I mean, that that's that's kind of and, and in a way, they've actually in a way they've had a mini reconciliation. Right. When she goes to sleep, you get the sense that maybe they're on their way to getting mm-hmm. together. And then and then that literally fall, falls apart. And I just I just love the way the handle comes off and he mutters to himself. She'll never believe me. Right. Uh, but 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 the obstacle once they've gotten together is exterior to them, mm-hmm. which, which is really unusual. I mean, sometimes in a rom-com, the obstacle, it can be, you know, different ethnic or racial traditions or family or family or friends objecting. But usually there's some kind of fundamental issue between the two characters that have to be worked out, but that's not the case here at all. So actually, as they're trying to get together, they're, they're united in their opposition to the bureaucracy. Um, at the same time, it's, it's one long postponed wedding night. And there's mm-hmm. only a couple of reminders of that, but it's like, yeah, they're really making them wait for it. So it's got that other little tension there as well. Right. He also has one other um, misunderstanding moment. And, and what I liked about it is, is it is he resolves it within the scene, which is when um, after they've done their paperwork and they've sent it in, and they haven't heard anything and they haven't heard anything. And then they're in the they have the fight in the 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 little restaurant oh, pub right. thing. And the misunderstanding is the other people who are watching them. Mm. And then the guy comes and says, oh, here's what I again. That's the stuff that happens in a rom-com, but it doesn't happen then. And it doesn't get resolved immediately. So when because there is this moment where they have this fight and you're like, wait, are they actually not going to like, is he going to is he going to pull them apart that way? And then when the when uh, Rumsey says what he does and she hits him with the tray, you're like, oh no no no, they're still together. Like like I really loved that move because because I've been trained to say, well, it can't be this easy that they're gonna just get married. And then he says, no, actually, it is gonna be that. So I actually, it's like he's playing with tropes that haven't been created yet or subverting things that haven't been created yet. That that scene has a line that he you could not possibly have in 2023 when the when the uh, the girl is looking at across at Henry and they're talking about the rumor that he beats her with a stick 
And yes. the other says, I've seen the marks. And the, the first girl says, he can beat me anytime. I'll bring the stick. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, we can laugh at that now, but we could not say that in a film in 2023 by any means. Absolutely. Um, so, the, so as we said, this movie has two distinct halves. And I think they're, uh, they're both um, effective. They're both entertaining. Do you... Do you have a, a half that you prefer? And I ask this in part because uh, the uh, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times definitely had a preference for what he thought was the effective part of this movie and what he thought was the ineffective part of this movie. Well, I well, let me say I, I disagree with Bosley Crowther. How, how, how's that? Um, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's he's really wrong on this. He Yeah, just for the listeners who, not, who aren't aware, Crowther says, you know, the first half it just takes too long and and, and setting this stuff up. And, I, and I, I don't, you know, so I watched the film with that in mind. It's like, I don't get that at all. The first half moves right along. It's got some of the best lines. I mean, the first half has some, I got a whole list of, just funny lines from the first half that I, that I laughed at. Um, I mean, I, it's really hard for me to choose the two halves because you really need the first half to set up the second half. And in a way, um, as you talk about Hawks kind of playing with the tropes in a way that, okay, this is maybe a far-fetched example, but I think a little bit about how um, Preston Sturges divides Sullivan's travels mm-hmm. because the the humor in the second half has different a different source than it does in the, in the first half. So it's still a rom-com, but now he's playing much more with, um, you know, gender, uh, he's, play, he's playing with gender roles in kind of a different way. He's satirizing bureaucracy in some ways um so i don't know i i have a hard time picking the two halves but i certainly disagree with bosley crowder the first half is weak my theory is that he was impacted by the title that he said this movie's announced what it's going to be why are we spending all this time before we get there ah okay i mean that that he doesn't say that but that's my guess is i like i uh, i like that theory sam so. Um, so yeah, because to me, I actually loved the first half. I I, I preferred the first half of the mm-hmm. movie, so I was a little disappointed when they got together. And I because I was wondering, like, well, what are you like? I knew what he was going to do, but I wasn't sure how that would get pulled off. Um, I love that the characters, when we first meet them, that they have a history together. Yes. Uh, so so it is it is a I I forget the 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 non meet cute title that you you said but it's like well what's cool is they it's not that they're first meeting it's that they meet and they both are under trying to undermine each other from the jump and they have this history but they don't uh they only hint at it through references right yes. so they, they they reference things we get partial stories like the the blue dye story but it's like well I don't know what that is. so it almost feels like oh like I'm watching something in a series of stories and I'm just, I'm jumping in here. And then that I feel like makes the world of this kind of uh, richer. Um, I also like that neither of them seems like an entire, an entirely reliable narrator mm-hmm. when they, when they're telling the stories, you realize both of them are really pushing their point of view of these stories. So it's not like, Oh, Henry is awful. And she, you know, and, and you're totally on Catherine's side. You're like, well, I'm not sure because for both of their stories, they seem like, like, um, uh, you know, if, if we had sort of a Rashomon of these stories, right, that we would get, uh, we would see both of them at fault in different ways, and I, I really like that setup. You know, I think, uh, I think, the, I, th- I think the idea of the backstory, if if you think about the ultimate template for rom coms, you, you can go all the way back to Jane Austen. 
uh, and a novel like Pride and Prejudice, where you know Elizabeth and Darcy developed this backstory. Now you see a lot of the backstory, but then late in the novel, when she was when she's with her aunt and they're at, and they're at Pemberley. The aunt doesn't know the backstory and she and Darcy kind of face each other and we know the backstory. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a lot of ways in which uh, Jane Austen is kind of setting up the uh, the, the rom-com. Absolutely. No. And, and the other thing that I love about this is he has a lot of different power dynamics at play. And this is where bringing up baby also has different power dynamics because you have sort of class and education and some of these things. Um, in this movie, you have the obvious male-female dynamic and what are the expectations of a man and a woman. You also have the dynamics of military rank, mm-hmm. you know, because in the first half of the movie, uh, although they're in different from different nations and different branches of the service, Henry outranks her. Yes. But in the second half, he doesn't because he's a civilian. Like, that is so great. So you have the, the idea of military rank. You also have the branches of armed services. And you have nations, right? Because mm-hmm. Henry's a French officer, uh, and he's living in an American military world. We don't. I don't think we encounter another French soldier anywhere, or French officer, or French soldier. So, so you have him as this person who is a fairly high-ranking person, but he's not in his own world. So there's always this, he can't just... Uh, use power over people and he will at times and like i don't know is a major in the whack does she outrank a french captain i don't know like it's like you know so so you're getting this he's he's deferential to her but he's also trying to like give her some some orders too like i really love how all of those things complicate this movie well, you know, I'm 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 glad you mentioned this about him being French, and of course he's French, but we pronounce his name American style as Henry rather than Henri. And you know, we had that conversation a couple weeks ago about language in um, in Paths of Glory, and I just love the way this film has no consistency at all about language, right? So, so at the beginning, you get the conversation in German, and then there was a conversation in French. And then an American comes along and clarifies exactly how to get to to where to where they need to go. But one of my really fun moments with language in this film is when he gets introduced to um, the American officer who attempts to talk to him in French. Yes. Right. So he tries to give him a greeting in French, and 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 Henry says hiya. Yeah. And then at the end, he tries to say goodbye in French, and Henry says, "See you in church." So his, his mastery of the of, of the American idiom it's 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 so funny because you wonder, well, why did they even bother to make him French anyway? Um, except towards the end when he seems defeated by Massachusetts and and Yonkers. So so they kind of come back to that. But I just I just love those those moments where they play with the language and they don't worry about any kind of consistency at all. Yeah. And and the story requires him to be to be yeah, well, he, he requires to him to be something that's that's not American. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, yes. Uh and we'll 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 circle back to that. Um I, so here here's what I was thinking about. So when you said when you said that uh that uh Henry seems like he's out of you know more of a uh, a Hawks action mm-hmm. style or adventure style movie. Um, what I love about Henry in the first half of the movie is it's possible to view Henry. If we're looking at him through his own eyes as imagining himself as sort of a low level James Bond type figure. Oh, yeah, if you think yeah. about it, right? Like, like, so we, part of his backstory is 
Catherine seems to imply that he is a, he's a womanizer, right? And maybe a yep. serial womanizer, right? <laughs> you get, he's sent on missions to recover stolen art. That sounds pretty uh-huh, exciting. Uh-huh. <laughs> His mission here is to infiltrate the German black market and convince a German scientist to flip to the French side. So at one level, you're like, <laughs> wow, this guy is sort of an action hero. But then once you learn that about him, the movie itself undermines that view of him because you realize i mean you know for like when they're at the motor pool and it's like well you're not licensed to drive the motorcycle so you have to sit in the sidecar which is a very you know visually kind of emasculating uh image it's it's one of the best it's on the poster for the movie yeah 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 um well yeah and then and and then of course you know there's a there's a classic setup and i don't know whether this is a setup that we spot because it's been done so many times and even Hawks's audience would have or not. But when he's telling her, you know, next time you see me, you don't know me. Or, you know, So we know exactly what they're setting up. But it's another scene along the lines of what you're saying. Another scene where it seems as though if he is a spy, he's not a very good one because he walks right into the black market. And it's right. going to be raided and he's going to be arrested. And you know that she's not going to identify him. And so she just she just keeps she just keeps keeping the upper the upper hand, and I yeah that that's a that's a that's a well, great example. You also know her job there is as his German interpreter, so he's going into the German black market dressed <laughs> as a local. It's like this does like this doesn't work, <laughs> you know. You also get her. You know, when he's, uh, I, I love that the initial setup, like uh, with Lieutenant Billings, like this is going to be his new partner and his new conquest in a James Bondy sort of way. And then the uh, military structure undercuts that. But even before that, Catherine is there to jump in and undercut all of that and, and to give and to sort of warn her about that. And then the best part of it is that we have this build up to the Schindler mission, you know, that he's on. And then while he's in jail, Catherine just does it by like saying, anybody know this guy walking up to him and saying, would you like to do this other thing? And he says, yeah. And it happens off screen and almost without effort. And it's, it, that, that is one of the great undercuttings of who Henry Rochard is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so they, they have this mission and then, you know, on the way home, we have this sort of slow reveal or, or, I guess reveal to each other that they really do have feelings for each other. So you mm-hmm. have the, you know, the, the coffee shop moment, um, which is great because it feels like it's going to happen there and then it doesn't, but it also doesn't not happen there. Like, like, well, like Henry doesn't totally reject it, but kind of does. And then he sort of demands for her to pay for the coffee. Well, also it's, it's got a, it's got a wonderful exchange, right? She, uh, one of them says, after all, we've been to each other. And then the other one says, and haven't been to each other and all right. we've done together and all we haven't done together. It's just, it's just like, I, you know, that there's a, there's that little, um, that there's that typical kind of foreplay, uh, through, through language, which again, is another very kind of typical, uh, rom-com element. I think about when Harry met Sally, for example, as an, as, as a film where that's definitely the case. Well, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, our bringing up baby episode and one of my feelings with that movie is I didn't buy that they were in love by the end. And like mm-hmm. this one, I do like it, it. I actually like like that doesn't feel like too big of a leap for me. And maybe it's because this movie gives me a lot more of them together by the end that it's like, yeah, I like I, I don't I don't have that sense of like, I don't get these two people together. In fact, from the very beginning, I kind of get their their antagonistic interplay feels 
like, oh, this could so easily turn into love. Well, there's also that very brief scene before they go on the mission, right? When she's talking to her friend or her roommate and she's revealing that she actually doesn't really despise him as much mm-hmm. as she, pretend, she pretends to. So, uh, you know, Hawks kind of sets that up for us so that we so that we know that what's going to happen is, yeah, that uh, it, it may be called sex antagonism, but that's the opposite of what it sounds like. Right. And then, of course, you you have to get, you know, moments of extreme moments of of extreme experience often reveal what people really believe or really think or really feel right so when he's in the sidecar and he's 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 plowed into the haystack and he thinks that she's fallen out you know then then we know what his real feelings for for her are and it's a it's a wonderfully sweet but comic moment at the, at the same time how did you get out there <laughs> right right i i also you know um one of the uh sort of screwball rom-coms that that we watched that i really loved was it happened one night and i feel like this Mm. has some fun echoes of that like i feel like the whole that the hotel scene you know i mean it's not the same as um as the two folks and it happened one night being stuck in the same hotel room but it ends up with them stuck in the same hotel room and Mm. what does that mean and how do you navigate this and then just the sort of road trip nature of it has you know sort of echoes of of uh, of it happened one night Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I loved about the fact that the uh, the wedding or the three weddings, which is also a pretty funny joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love at the third wedding um, when the uh, the the pastor asks for the ring and she has to take the ring off <laughs> and it goes around to everyone just for him to give it back to her. Is that that's just that that's a great like really quick joke in that. Um, but it it addresses something we talked about on the very first episode of video or second episode of video store when we were talking about groundhog day and i was asking mm. about well what does february 3rd look like like what happens we the movie has brought these characters through this story they have this connection well what happens next and this movie gives you mm. here's what happens next right because it says let's let's make the first the first half of the movie almost a, a full a full movie in and of itself you know that would work as its own movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in some ways it sort of feels like I'm watching a movie and its sequel all embedded within mm-hmm. one movie, you know, um, because, because the, the issues and stakes and everything in the second half of the movie grow out of the first half, but they don't, they don't depend on the first half. You could have, you could have set that, that up in five minutes at the beginning of a movie called I was a male war bride and have the whole movie be about how do we get home? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know but instead instead he gives us both of those things together or you could do the opposite and stop at the haystack scene exactly yep right i mean yeah yeah or done. stop at the wedding if you want to yeah. resolve if you want to resolve there yeah, that's absolutely right yeah I, I i do love the three weddings as i have no idea where we are geographically <laughs> right because as henry says you know he has to have his french pastor marry them well Right. So do you find a French pastor in Germany? Do they go back to France? It's like, I mean, I don't really worry about that for very long, but it does pop in your head a little bit. Where where are all these ceremonies happening? So I, I have the same question about some of the interiors in this film, Sam. It's like, well, that's a pretty opulent room there. And where exactly are right. they? Right. Oh, for the for the honeymoon night. Yeah. 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 So anyway, but I, I, I don't worry too much about it. Well, that actually raises another interesting point that I like about this is because they're both in the military and neither of them are in their home countries, right? They're in Germany. Yeah. We have no sense of class in this because mm. military replaces class, military rank, 
replaces class. So there isn't this sense, you know, and then they even talk about how Henry has no money that he can bring from France to America. That doesn't mean Henry could be very wealthy for all. We don't know anything about who he is not in the military. Same with Catherine. We don't know anything about her. We don't know where she comes from. We don't. And I kind of like that, you know, that, that it's like you could have. He could have broken this into three parts and we could find out what happens once they hit New York. And that would have been interesting, too, because then all of a sudden we can play with immigration and class and all these other pieces as well. So this is actually a, a very rich story you could keep playing out. But I should also say that that's very much unlike Grand Illusion and Paths of Glory, whereas we discussed military rank reinforced class, mm-hmm. whereas here it does exactly what it's supposed to do, as you pointed out, it, it, it erases class. So do you have thoughts on the second half of this movie? We, we both have a lot of affection for the first half. Uh, how, how do you feel or think about the second half of this movie? Um, it, it does it. It has a different kind of pleasure from from the first half, right? I mean, um, all I think all of my uh, all of my favorite quotes and uh, most of my belly laughs are in are in the first half. Um, however, I do like the the, the second half does have um, some interesting comment on sex roles um, w- when they're filling out the form. You know, one of them says, I think Henry says, this is a strange situation, but I suppose it's perfectly legal. And then right. on the on the form, there's this question, name your father's gender. <laughs> so it's like, it's not, I mean, so, so, so Hawks is playing with the gender roles in kind of a, in kind of a different way. And then, you know, I, I did kind of like, you know, and it is, it's maybe not a rom-com trope, but it is a comedy trope, the idea that. You you can't sleep here. You really can't find you can't find a place to have a bed. And so I did I did like that kind of series of encounters that he has with the various characters as he tries to get into a place to sleep. And I love the scene where again it's another one of those what's the line between feminine and masculine where he's helping the woman knit. Um, yes. So 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 the, the laughs are different, but they're they are playing on the same kind of concept of what exactly are gender roles or, or, or sex roles. And um, he's discovering that even though the military wants to define him as a bride, he actually can't be treated as a bride. So you get kind of the, uh, this may be pushing a point a little bit, but you can almost see a foreshadowing of a kind of catch 22 uh, critique of military thinking. Um, so anyway, it's, they're different kinds of amusements, but they're equally fun. Right. No, I actually I thought about things like Catch-22 in a very in a very light way. But there is this sense of like this is because because you're also seeing you're not just seeing um, Henry and Catherine frustrated by the the bureaucracy. It's like the bureaucracy is frustrated with itself. Uh, Like when he brings the form to the one uh, the one guy and he's and the guy's helping him fill it out and he keeps asking questions that's that guy seems like the most frustrated because he's like are you sure there's not another form and it's like you're the person in charge of the forms you know there's not (laughs) another form Um, i i also love the the moment when um they're at the bus station oh yeah and and the yes when the person first realizes like um Oh, you're you are you are a male war pride, and he <laughs> says you don't need to go to the medical table. Like I, I, I just <laughs> like like because he's just thinking, okay, what's going to happen there? And then you get you know Henry sitting down, and the woman hands him the baby, and I love the look of satisfaction on his face when he's able to calm the baby down. <laughs> and then there is a lot of good wet diaper jokes also that are peppered in there. 
Well, there's a moment that I guess I missed. And when I was reading Robin Wood's chapter, he pointed this out that when the um, when the woman makes the announcement about fashions in in, uh, in America now and about the natural bust line, and he he like transfers his wallet. Uh, I guess I can't remember. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, I I missed that too. But I guess he transfers as well often because you know the European guys carry, as we know from pickpocket, the European men carry their wallets in their in their breast pocket, and evidently he transferred it from his breast pocket to his hip pocket, which I I didn't pick up on, but I thought that was a a, a wonderful touch. So oh, that's very funny. That's yeah, very funny. Yes. Um, I, I'm also glad you brought up the you can't sleep here thing because I f- always find that effective. The story of watching, and as you said, it's a it's a trope in comedy of watching somebody where at a certain point all he wants to do is get some sleep. He doesn't even yes, care about the honeymoon yes. anymore. It's yep, like, yep. And, and and there is something that's uh, gleefully frustrating because you find yourself because we've all been to that to that point in life where it's like I have to keep going and I have to stay awake because I can't just fall asleep here. But that is it's one of the most universal but painful things and it does create great comedy because as as the second half goes on you just think i just i just want to take a nap now as i'm watching this because it's it's and and even the point where he i love where he gets into the one bed and then when the other army officer comes in and he's like you've noticed i haven't changed clothes (laughs) because i was anticipating this that's right (laughs) um and then that all builds to the inevitable joke. I mean, I didn't know that it was going to do this, but you sort of knew it was going to do this, that we would eventually see his uh, the sort of attack on his masculinity culminate in him having to dress up as a woman to get yeah, onto yeah. the boat, which is also funny because it's uh, it's it's one of those things kind of like some like it hot where it's like, you didn't need to do this. I mean, it's, it's it's one of those where it's like, well, we don't have a lot of time. We can't think of a solution. So we're just going to do this. And you're like, there's probably solutions that are less complicated than this to make this work <laughs> out. But, but uh, there is just, just that, that sort of great moment, especially when they're standing by the horses and you realize what, um, what Catherine has in mind. And then when he's, when she's trying to match the hair and I love what he says, couldn't you at least cut it from the main main? Cause yes, she's clear, clear, clearly making him a horse's ass, right? That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned other, other kind of cross-dressing films. Like, uh, she said, some like it hot, but also of course, uh, Tootsie. Uh, and then Grant has that brief moment in bringing a baby when he's in the, uh, in her dressing gown. Mm-hmm. So Hawks really did like putting Cary Grant in women's clothing as much as he could. He makes a very unattractive woman, but, uh, yes. <laughs> well, and then, and then they get onto the boat and then there is one last thing when you when when none of them realize he's a nurse and they need a nurse, <laughs> and it's just like I, I sort of thought, okay, well we're on the boat, they can kind of wrap this up now, and it's like, nope, I have one well, more thing I want to do, and and what I like about it is there's an economy to the, a lot of the jokes too, like they don't play out too long, like he's really hmm. not dressed in women's clothes for that long in right, the movie, right. but it's like enough to get all of the jokes you need in there when he's adre- when he's adjusting his stocking and the. The, the guy whistles and then Catherine's like, that was for me. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't get too excited about this. Well, it's funny given what you were saying earlier about the, uh, the mis the misdirection or maybe the too clear direction of the title that he does, he does take it, take us that long to get, to get Grant into drag because the title kind of tells you he's got to get into drag at some point. So he exactly. does kind of delay that. Um, I also love the number of times, and it, this is one of those things where, the repetition of something becomes a joke and he does some great things with it. 
the number of times you hear him say, I am an alien spouse of a female military personnel en route to the United States under public law 271 of the Congress. And that becomes the explanation. It also yes. becomes the frustration. And then at the end, it becomes the resolution because yes. when the captain of the ship comes in, it's like, oh, we know what this is. And then they say that exact line. And it's like, what? <laughs> this is what he's been saying the whole time. Now, that is absolutely brilliant, as you pointed out, Sam, the way that's used kind of a it's the same phrase, but it gets played different ways. That's mm -hmm. really brilliant because that's a bureaucracy joke. Yeah, it's like if exactly. I can just get the right person to be the one who says that this will work. It's it, and, and that's the thing is like it's all perfectly legal and the stakes aren't even that high because if he doesn't get on that boat, it's like there's some more paperwork and he eventually this gets figured out. So, so it's, it's, I kind of love all of that is it, it doesn't feel like uh end of the world stakes in any way. Like it's right. like this, it's just going to be a little more frustrating for them. But then if you carry it forward and you get, and th th then it becomes the absurdity of catch 22, right? Where mm -hmm. catch 22 is the thing that can get you out, but you can't possibly use it. So it's, it's, it's like Hawks is kind of pre, pre, pre date, prefiguring that, uh, that kind of insanity. Absolutely. So, uh, are there other things you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about some of your favorite, uh, cause we haven't really yeah. talked about really funny moments in this. Well, movie. you know, first of all, I want to talk about, there are certain kinds of, um, performance ticks that Cary Grant has that I just love. Um, so for example, the very beginning of the film, when he's, uh, when the driver of the taxi and, the and the German guard are talking, uh, policemen are talking about how to get to the, to the, to the Audubon, and he keeps tapping the guy on the shoulder and he can't get a word in edgewise. And it, it, it reminds me exactly of moments in bringing up baby when he just can't get a and 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 Grant does exasperation so well. Or, you know, there's there's a line where he's trying to get out of the assignment with uh with with, with Catherine and he says something to the commanding officer like you've done more than you realize. Right. Um and, and and that's and that's another very grant moment for his characters is he's had help quote help foisted on him that he doesn't really want and he's just so good at playing those moments and then the other thing i have to say is his alluded earlier to his physical comedy the one i really love is when he's in the room uh and he's trying to get settled into the chair mm. and he does something with his arm i don't know how he does it but it's like and it's actually a Dr. Strangelove moment when the when the arm seems to have a, a life of its own. He's sitting in the chair and he's got himself all folded. And then, and then there's this arm and he's like, well, or this hand. And it's like, well, what is that doing there? And you as a viewer are looking at it. And you're like, yeah, what is that doing there? It doesn't seem to fit. And then he changes position and then it's the other hand. So I just, I, I mean, that's that was one of my several kind of just laugh out loud moments. And it was funny because it wasn't a moment I remembered until it happened. And then I was like, oh, that's right. This is one of the funniest scenes scenes in the film. So there's there's lots of that. And the other thing I'll just mention quickly with language, um, I love the beginning when he goes in and he's looking at all the acronyms on this the was board. one of my favorites. I just I thought that was completely brilliant. It's like, you know, I get bureaucracy, I get what these things mean. And of course we get to ladies and he doesn't recognize that as ladies at all. Well, and then when the woman comes out and say and she says, Can I help you? And he says, Oh, I'm looking for uh for Lieutenant Gates office. And she said, Well, it's not here. <laughs> 
is yeah I, that that was the one that was the because it's so early in the movie but i was like oh i'm going to enjoy this if that's the if we're going to make that kind of joke where he's reading through the acronyms and then and it's funny because it's the it's perfect it's the same lettering so it's like yes. Well, yes why would this not also be why would i assume this is a word this is clearly this is clearly an acronym um my one of my favorite small characters in this and it's somebody who you've already quoted uh at least once here is uh lieutenant kitty lawrence who is um oh, wow. <clears throat> who is gates's roommate because she does the one thing that you always wonder in movies like how come nobody's pointing this out like nobody's pointing out that uh rochard is a movie star <laughs> He's uh-huh. like, he is a beautiful, handsome man. And it's like, he's in like, everybody's just treating him like whatever. And so she's the one who says the thing about like, well, he could hit yes. me with it. And, and she also says when they're sitting, it's in that same conversation. The other two are like, I don't see what they see in him. She says, <laughs> if you don't see what they see in him, then you need glasses. Because she's basically <laughs> saying like, he's Cary Grant. That's right. <laughs> Well, that's, 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 that's like, that's one of my favorite jokes in bringing up baby, right? When he takes his glasses off and yes. she says, oh, David, you're so handsome about your glasses. Oh, uh, which also means Sam, that's a good opening for me to mention a very, uh, a meta cinematic touch to this film. And that is, uh, as you may, may, may know, the, the filming history was very, the production was very troubled uh, just because of the illnesses. Um, so I got, I think it took like eight months finally to put the film together, but at some point everybody got sick. And Cary Grant got hepatitis and then uh, developed jaundice. And so he lost like 25 pounds and they had to wait for him to put weight back on so they could film it. But it's interesting that in the film, when I think it's when they're talking about the blue dye, they also mentioned that he was yellow because Henry had jaundice. Mm-hmm. So as did as did Cary Grant. So I, 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 I'm suspecting that might have been an ad lib to stick that in. Yes. I also love Kitty's line when they're in their in their quarters filling out the paperwork and they take a break and they're kissing and she comes in and she's like oh we're just filling out paperwork and she says well if you could find someone to fill out paperwork with me <laughs> that would be great because <laughs> it's both like i would like to get married but also it's like if this is what paperwork is i'm in <laughs> so uh there's one other thing that we haven't addressed in talking about this and you, you started to go there and i thought i was wondering if we were going to go all the way with this conversation mm-hmm. which is another thing that doesn't ruin this movie, but it's kind of baffling to me. Mm-hmm. We talked about the different languages and how, like, they do have people speaking their own language. I mean, you have people speaking German and French a little bit here and there. But Cary Grant is not French. No. Nothing about him is French. And no. so much of the second half of the movie relies on him being a foreigner. Yeah. And other and the other women he talks to are they have accents and things like this. And the problem is, I'm not saying I want Cary Grant to do a French accent. I don't know if he can. I'm also saying I don't want that Cary Grant isn't right for this film because he is. It's just part of the problem is it's like you have to keep telling yourself this guy isn't American. I mean, like when they're making the jokes about Massachusetts and Brooklyn and Yonkers and it's like but you're American. Like, like, like that, that's, that is one of the, and it's kind of baffling to me that they don't come up with a way to try to explain it away that they don't, that he does like that. They did. He doesn't do an accent that he hires Cary Grant for the, even though Grant is perfect, perfect in this movie. That is one of those things where I'm just like, it's such a strange choice. Did you, did that, I mean, does that jump out at you as you watch this? Does it bother you? No. Okay. 
That's good to hear. Uh, but 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 let me say why, Sam, because I think this goes back to um, a remark you made when we were talking about Sergeant York and we were talking about Cooper's performance. And you were pointing out that, you know, Cooper was not a method actor. And so I guess so my 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 very abrupt no was because I guess what happens for me is when I watch an older film and especially when I know an actor like Cary Grant, I tell myself this is not method acting. This is Cary Grant. That's the reason why uh, Hawks cast him. Uh, he never expected you to think that this guy's a Frenchman in any way, shape, or form. It's just an excuse to watch Cary Grant. So, I, so anyway, so I, I think that that's that's a kind of fundamental suspension of disbelief that I make when Cary Grant walks on onto the screen. Now, there's there's other actors, and I think this is interesting to me. It's if you're, you're kind of in a post method world there there are times when you keep remembering who that actor is it is very distracting mm -hmm. so you know my wife for example does not believe that jack nichols can nicholson can disappear into any role he's mm -hmm. always jack nicholson and she doesn't like him so for me he's always cary grant but that's okay because that's what i'm that's what i'm looking for um it, it reminds me of a remark that um joseph conrad made about marionette shows uh, Conrad said he loved the marionette shows with, well, he says something like, with strings as thick as your fingers. So you can actually see the artifice and at the same time take pleasure in it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the best way I could describe watching Cary Grant for me. I see the artifice. I see that it's Cary Grant. I don't think I have to suspend the, illu the, the, the illusion at all, but it still brings me pleasure. Just like if I'm watching a marionette show, I see the strings but that's okay. I love watching how the strings work and I love watching how Cary Grant works. Yeah. And, and I will say uh, it does not ruin the movie for me. Uh, like I, and I appreciate everything you're saying. And I sort of feel that way. It's just, it's funny that it's a movie that really depends on him being French. Like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, where, where it's like, so the first half of the movie, it doesn't matter because he can be an American and it doesn't matter. Like, like in my head, I don't have to think about him as a French officer, except there are moments when I realize, Oh wait, they're, the rank is doing this or that, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's, 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 and, and I think you're right. It's a product of a time and a kind of movie star that it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't have to worry about that. And, and it, it also speaks to what we we're talking about at the beginning, which is, this is a movie that is telling you like, relax and enjoy the movie. Like, don't this, this, it, this doesn't have to be all of these things. And, and again, I would not replace Cary Grant. It's not like I'm thinking, oh, we need to have a, you know, a, a French actor in here or someone. And I don't want him to try to do an accent. I actually love everything about right. him. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So, so the the art the artifice works enough for me, um, or or see are seeing the strings works enough for me. But I do it, it did jump out to me in the same way when you watch Paths of Glory, you need to remind yourself that they're French, but they're doing something different there. This yeah. is in a world where other people are having accents and things like this, and he is this one thing. But maybe, maybe you know, you could, you could, I can explain that away in lots of ways. So I, I don't, I don't think it it damages the movie in any way. Anything else you want to talk about with this film? Yeah, I want to say something about the final shot because I think I think there's a couple of ways to take the final shot. Right, the final shot is you're inside Henry's cabin and you see the Statue of Liberty. So how do you take that? Do you take that that Henry and uh, Catherine are now free because they've reached the shores of New York and there's the Statue of Liberty? Or do you take it as an ironic comment on liberty? There's a Statue of Liberty, but here they are, locked inside this, co this, this cabin slash cell. 
Uh, I just I, I love that moment because Robin Wood pointed it out and he said it's the closest thing that uh, Hawks ever came to making an overt comment on modern society. Hmm. So is he saying, you know, you think you're free, but you really aren't? Or is liberty and marriage? I mean, I think you can go either way with it. That's really interesting. I had I, I had not thought of that at all other than it is New York. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but that's yeah. really interesting. That's that's very interesting to think about. Um, so so. And I, I apologize for asking this question, but like, where does this fit into the Hawks movies that we've watched in terms of uh, like uh, bring up babies? Obviously, you're the top of that list, right? Yeah, I put this I put this pretty I put this pretty high. I mean, okay. I, you know, I like Rio Bravo and, and I like I know you like Scarface. I do, too. But I probably put this right below bringing up baby right now. Um, but of course, we haven't watched Only Angels Have Wings or His Girl Friday, which right there's still there's still more. Yeah, those are rivals. I and and maybe uh, I need to do the same thing with Monkey Business that you need to do with uh, bringing up Baby. Maybe I need to rewatch that and reevaluate. Maybe I yeah. went into that with the wrong expectations. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I, I, here's my promise to listeners: I will watch Bringing Up Baby this summer and report back at the end of the summer, uh, whatever I end up watching it, because we'll we'll, ta- we'll take a break midsummer and I'll I'll watch it during the break and and. Well, I, ha- I have to warn you, Sam. I've got Bringing Up Baby up my sleeve for Film Forum next year, so I don't know if that's if that's a good reason to watch it again. Or to avoid. Then I really, it really is because I need to get to a place where I, uh, where I feel differently about it, or better about it, or, or at least solid about how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, if uh, if you end up really thinking, no, this movie is genuinely not my cup of tea, we could have an interesting argument. In front well, of that is true. That is true. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Barrett, what do you have for us for next week? So, I think what what I want to do is I, I want to go back to the sight and sound and ex, uh, top hundred, and I want to explore some female directors. I feel like we need to do more with female directors. So, one of the great French uh, female directors is Agnes Var. Uh, and her wonderful 62 film uh, Cleo from five to seven is uh, for next week. And that's uh, that's close to a durational realism film. Oh, I'm very excited about this. This is as I was going through that list myself, I was kind of giving myself some summer assignments of here's some stuff I want to make sure I watch this summer. So that was very high on my list. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited. I've heard really good things about this. This is also a movie that has some some good writing, some good podcasts you can listen to around it as well. well I'm very excited for that. Barrett, uh, thank you so much for recommending this film. This is something I had never heard of. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed in the same way I enjoyed like Hail the Conquering Hero too where it's like you know these are these are movies that you can just go to and have a good time um but i i thoroughly enjoyed this so thank you for recommending it thank you for having this conversation that is all the time that we have but we will be back next week to talk about cleo from five to seven in the video store (laughs) 